Hi, this is your host, Sophia Vidal, on the fifth episode of The First Cut, where we interview medical professionals and get answers to your questions, which you might not have had the opportunity to ask, especially during this pandemic. I'm very grateful to be joined here today by Tom Marjum. Hello, how are you doing? So could you give us a brief description of what you do and your medical duties? Okay, so I am a, a GP, but I have a, a portfolio career. So I've, um, I went to medical school at Manchester, uh, started in 94, graduated in 1999. Uh, and since that time, I, d- I did a number of different jobs. So kind of house, house jobs, surgery, orthopedic surgery, medicine, uh, did quite a lot of A&E. Then I d- did a year in Australia uh, doing A&E and paediatrics. Then I did a year of more of paediatrics and paediatric neonatal intensive care. Uh, so, so neonatal surgical intensive care. And then, um, and then I did an anaesthetics, part of an anaesthetics rotation, so I did a year and a bit of that and an anaesthetics intensive care. And then I did a year of palliative care, so uh, community and inpatient palliative care. So I sort of have I've done a lot of different things within, within medicine. And then from, yeah. from doing community, community palliative care, really enjoyed the, the sort of being, being in people's homes, getting a bit nosy, seeing what was going on, really kind of getting to know people and their families, which is a big difference from things like anaesthetics, where you it's a you know it has it's a you have a very different interaction often with the with the patients that you're looking after and their families um and so i trained so this so i trained so i trained in manchester done a lot of my work uh, my jobs in manchester and then in london i did my gp training in london uh in east london and uh and then basically worked in general practice in east london since then but when i first a couple of years after i qualified as a gp so i've qualified as a GP I think in 2005 um, and then did locum work for a, a year or so and then um, got a a, a, a register um, what was it called it's a new it was a sort of a, a recruit it was a sort of retainer not a retainer is probably not the right word no it was basically to encourage young GPs or freshly right. qualified GPs into East London into East London because there's there's often recruitment issues or there's lots of recruitment issues around around in medicine but in particular into into places where there's a lot where the, there's lots of deprivation and it's it's a different kind of uh a, a different patient need so um as part of that work i did uh, a master's in in sports and exercise medicine so so you you, you did your you work in full time but you had some protected sessions to do some other study and then after a couple, so it was a couple of years doing that part time whilst I was practicing, and then I got uh, whilst I was continuing to practice, I did a um, I got a job at Arthritis Research UK, who are now called Versus Arthritis. So they're a big medical uh, musculoskeletal research charity, um, and so I did I worked with them for five years part time doing um, some education and training, and so I developed things like um, uh, online uh, online and in person training for GPs and, and students. I did work around health policy. Uh, so lately I've been doing work around multi-morbidity. So how, how we manage people with multiple long-term conditions. Um, we did, I did fundraising through the charity and then through that work also got really interested in, in patient safety and quality improvement. So I picked up a job with um, an organization called NHS Improving Quality who um, and then got so essentially learned the the t- tools and techniques of quality improvement and the, and some leadership stuff through them, 
and so uh, was working for what was when the last NHS reform came through and the creation of clinical commissioning groups um, and the creation of NHS England. They, um, we'd, we'd, as an entity, we did quite a lot of work to support newly forming clinical commissioning groups uh, around sort of priority setting and, and how to make, how to do sort of change as, as newly formed organisations. And so, um, as I did, I did that. I did that work and really enjoyed it. So basically, doing doing clinical work, but I, I got a bit sort of frustrated by. Um, it's quite difficult to make change happen. I think, and right. you can kind of bang up, bang up against these sort of things. And and then so so actually learning a real, really sort of sound methodology for change and how to engage people and bring people on you, with you and and help you collaborate around making change happen. Um, that's that's the kind of work I ended up uh, I've ended up doing quite a lot of my career. So I so I mixed doing clinical work and then I I actually now uh, I did this work at NHS England. So I did a national role as a as a clinical lead on an on, a, on an improvement project and then I set up an imp quality improvement program in in Tower Hamlets where I was doing my my clinical practice and now we're working. Um, right across northeast London, in with with um, loads of loads of GP practices and and other teams that work alongside GPs, um, but it might be sort of public health people, or or latterly we're doing loads of work around COVID or digital um, digital forms of access, and so I basically run a team. Of, we've got data analysts, we have program managers, we've recruit and train coaches. So we've got we've got about forty five coaches now working with us as part of our program. And they go and go and do a lot of the work in with with teams. So so I have a real sort of mixed bag of it from a career perspective. Definitely, so I do yeah. some some clinical work, and then I do a lot of this other stuff improvement. Work. I'll tell you in my interviews so far, I don't think that question's ever topped more than three sentences. So that's amazing. I'm so, so sorry diverse. that was the long. I'm no, sorry, of course, no, that's it's, it's insane <laughs> what you've done. Do you think you could pick an experience so far that you think you've enjoyed the most? Mm, that's interesting because everything has its moments. I think medicine's such an inc interesting things, career yeah. in that you get, yeah, we get we get an opportunity to meet great mentors, work in great teams, do really meaningful work, impactful work. The, the you know having you know a bachelor of medicine and bachelor of surgery degree and the you know the prefix DR in front of your name yeah. opens an enormous amount of doors for you as as a kind of basic entry level on you know and two times undergraduate degrees the, the the things that it allows you to do are, are unbelievable and, and you know so I've got friends who are you know transplant surgeons and orthopedic surgeons and physicians all that kind of stuff and then, then you know the you know the principal nature of my work is completely different to theirs and is around kind of leadership and change management and team development and organizational development as well as the clinical work but I'd say that you know the opportunity to to, to do lots of lots of really interesting things the secondly is to work with some really great people thirdly to do meaningful work and and fourthly i think the kind of mentorship that you get you know there'll be people through your medical career who change the course of your life and i you know i can name those yeah. people who were who just had the most incredible influence on me as a person and on the kind of work that i do i think that's 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 the favorite thing so for me it's always the favorite thing is being in a great team doing really good work and that's the bit you know that's what i'm always trying to create so have you always wanted to do medicine or did you ever have a different career path in mind? I wanted to be an architect is what I wanted to be. Right. And then I, um, um, but that and then I think I saw a TV programme called Cardiac Arrest, which was like a drama on in the kind of early 90s and it looked, uh, it looked really good fun. But I think what, what 
I'd done some work experience in an architecture practice and it just didn't really float my boat. And, and then I was really lucky to be set up with some, um, you know, a couple of weeks placement in, in Liverpool with a, with a cardiologist. And um, yeah, it was just really interesting. And for me, I, so I, I, I liked science and I liked, but, uh, but I, I enjoyed arts and things as well, but it, um, it had sort of gone down more of the science route in, in terms of A-levels. And then, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's one of those things really that we had really terrible careers advice. And so you didn't really know whether very, you know, I was, I was bright, I could do science and I could, you know, communicate. So that was, you know, yeah. it was, you do an, en- you know, do engineering or something or, or do medicine. But I, I confess that I probably didn't know very much about me- medicine before I went in to do medicine. I think you're, you, sounds like you're going to be like way more informed. I think you have oh. to do so much more stuff now in terms of preparation. I, you know, genuinely, yeah, I think it's it was, changed. It definitely. Kind of, yeah. Which is, which is a good thing. But maybe a bad thing as well. I don't know. I think you've got there's so many, you know, the level of the, the kind of entry level for medicine now, in my I know, my humble opinion, is probably a bit high. It's a you know, it's an, right. a, it's a, an applied it's an applied kind of degree that you know you need to be you need to be able to graft and you need to be able to take on new information and learn. But it's it's probably not you know you don't have to be the brightest of the bright people. It's it's much more about you know how you are as a person, how you can interact with people. Because yeah. increasingly, I think you know, the, you know the, that the, the skills of communication, skills of leadership, skills of working in a team are the ones that are really going to carry you through a career in a, you know, in a, a sort of in a way that's sustainable. So, how do you see the practice of medicine changing in the future? Uh, so, I mean, so big, so big changes that are happening for us at the moment is around right. sort of digital, online. I, th- I think increasingly the information and data is being democratized so but back in the day the doctor knew everything and you know, had that sort of god you know the godlike status and were you know not questioned to be questioned because the way that medicine's been set up historically was to own the information and then set up a royal college and have yourself stamped and have a crest which sets yeah. you out as being different to other people and you, you know, you've got, and and someone, no one else can call themselves a doctor. So you are, you know, unless you, you know, unless you registered and you pay your dues and all that kind of thing. And I think that that is really changing. So people can access can access the same information that you can access as a clinician. You could, and and people can, you know, should should be and can access all of their own medical records. People should be you know there's a potential for people to be way more empowered and much more partners in their care and I think that you know what has to change in medicine is that is is there has to be greater collaboration that you know there's there's crazy gaps between what happens in primary care what happens in social care what happens in acute medicine and and for people who are you know who are interacting with all of those services and they're receiving potentially great care or, or healthcare or social care in particular settings and then when they cross into another setting people get lost um so i think the changes that need to happen is more much more kind of co-creation and you know right. designing services around around the needs of, of communities and what population need is rather than what the needs of services which is kind of how medicine has has, has developed as a, as a as a specialty for you know for lots of historical reasons so more more democratic and open access to data and information services that are designed uh, around the needs of of, pop, of, of citizens uh, patients populations and then uh, and, and the opportunities to do things and to do things to see things through a different lens i think it's a real challenge for us in, in medicine to see things not from our perspective from the but from the perspective of people that are trying to yeah. you know ha- look after their own health and care 
so so I think that's going to be a big change. I think if I was what's coming down the line, I'd be really interested if I were you about what's happening around artificial intelligence and how and machine learning and how that's going to change a lot of specialties. Now I'm thinking about sort of because dis, de decision making is going to be supported by AI. by machines that are better at making the better well yeah and, and are yeah. better at making decisions than we are more reliably. And so, so like something that happened when we went through medical school, so people trained to be, for example, cardiothoracic surgeons, because there was lots of, you know, valve, heart valve disease back in, back in those times, which is not that long ago. And then what happened was, you know, people treated, treated things like uh, rheumatic fever better with antibiotics. So there's less valve disease. People started to take statins. And so there was less, you know, there was less volume of, you know, triple bypass surgery. And then interventional cardiologists got into doing, um, you know, sort of the, your, uh, uh, the sort of, you know, the, the femoral vein access and all that kind of stuff to be able to, to do the, the, the kind of, endoscopic and uh, the, the different sort of repairs that they can do now. And so thing, like a whole specialty shifted and things and interventional radiology and all these things came along and, and changed those big open surgical procedures. And just like, you know, we used to do loads of laparotomies for perforated stomach ulcers and then people started to take a statin, uh, sorry, PPI drugs uh, and, and found out that, you know, bacterial infection was the cause of most um, most stomach ulcers so you take yeah. a course of antibiotics you don't have a stomach ulcer so you know always kind of horizon scanning in medicine's really interesting kind of what's coming down the, down the line but it, it feels to be the thing that that never changes is the bit where the, the sort of science meets people and that's the bit mm. that a machine and a computer can't do you know there's this it's the idea of sort of complex decisions and supporting people to make good decisions about their health and care and life is the bit where I think we'll look, doctors are always going to have a role because the, the and you might be supported by clinical decision making. Yeah, so, so, so do you think AI could perhaps um, you could feed in the information of the patient and it could just be there as a support uh, for the doctor that is making the decision rather than making the decision on its own? I, I mean, I think this, there are two things that sort of supported. So this sort of decision making support thing is one is is one route into this. So the idea that for example, you know, patients with multiple long-term conditions to receive, if you've got six or seven long-term conditions, you might be needing to receive six or seven different guideline-based bits of care. And none of those guidelines are based on people with, they're based on generally single disease problems. So you've yeah. got hypertension guidelines, you, you kidney disease guidelines, all that kind of stuff. So they're separate. And yet we're trying to put all these into a massive bucket to treat this one person who's got, you know, you know multiple problems, maybe loads of other stuff going on as well that, you know, unrelated to them or not directly related to the medical condition. How are you going to make the right decision about prescribing and not prescribing for them? And that's where decision support would be really good. But things like AI, for, for example, in places where it's very hard to get a doctor, uh, so right. developing countries and things is, you know, the idea that you, you can start to feed questions into a, an AI platform that could that, that could start to then make help to make some clinical decisions, for for example, for a healthcare worker who's, who is not a doctor, who's, a, you know, perhaps just a, a healthcare support worker or somebody where there's difficulty getting access to care. Um, and then things yeah. like, I think AI and around, you know, if you were a radiologist, I think they must be talking a lot about AI because that, because essentially that kind of pattern recognition for scans and screening and things like that will probably be much more supported by artificial intelligence because it tends to, you know, machines, you know, when they're set up can sort of make less human, you know, they don't do human error.
Definitely. And I just wanted to talk about you. Uh, you practiced in Australia for a bit, you said. Mm -hmm. How did that differ from working in the UK? Um, so I, uh, it differed in that the staffing levels were much higher. Right. The working week was much, much more humane. So we we were doing, I'd gone from A&E and we would, you know, you would do seven so you didn't set you did two late shifts seven night shifts then you had 36 hours off and then you went you back on to do another nine day week and so they were it was crazy and you were when you were on you when you were working in a and e on night time you were on your own you know you a year and a half qualified or a year qualified and you were doing you know night shifts on your own um with support from great great nurses and people on the phone and things but in, in I was doing a in Australia and there was you know you would you know consultants on the floor reg registrars on the floor 24 7 much bigger team doing the work and you, and you did a 36 or 37 hour week and that's what we did and then you had your had your um you, know, so you did three three long shifts four days off three, um so it was a really sort of humane work environment compared to I think yeah. what we'd experienced in the UK um but there, and, and one of the reasons they could do that is because they import loads of doctors from, from the UK to do these sort of junior roles who then leave and then, you know, their own, their own clinicians can uh, go on to do the, the sort of consultant and registrar roles. So right. it's a different thing. Lots, and and you, do, you tended to do quite a lot more stuff in A&E there because they were much better staff. So you, you would treat a lot more things um, like, like fractures and sort of complex um you know lacerations and things you, you would tend to be done in a and e um whereas the way a and e works here is you're trying to get people through you know that's that's all about the kind of you know people not breaching waiting time targets so you tend to try and get people like to make the decision get the person yeah so you went to manchester university mm. if you could and would change your approach to med school how would you probably made more of being at a university so in terms of access to you know, we could have done, I could have done languages that, that would have been really well supported you could you know when you were there you could you could go to the language lectures you could you could utilize all of the other things that you weren't you wouldn't necessarily have as part of a that, that now would be difficult options and actually you feel you are working hard at university but you do have loads more time on your hands than you do like I do now and and so I think I I had a great time at university it was absolutely and there's lots and I wouldn't change a, a, a jot of that but I sort of think in terms of how I use the institution so I think I like I have friends who did things like Erasmus which I, I don't know whether it's running but you know did a year of their training in a, in a European university uh, people you know people intercalated that was a definitely something that a, re a real minority of people did when when I was, oh, really? when I was at Manchester eventually yeah whereas I think it's probably much more of a sort of accepted thing to do now but again that would have for us we wouldn't have paid I didn't pay tuition fees so again it would have had a you know a year to do intercalation yeah and get another another degree but in, in some ways actually I'd be going back to do a master's seven or eight years after I qualified was a really good thing because I've done a bit of work and I've appreciated going back to university a bit like a bit after the fact and you know it marks me out as, as, as such an old geezer but you know, there wasn't really there wasn't internet when I was at university, like for right. doing at medical school. So if you wanted to look up a paper, and it wasn't in the library at the medical school, you did things called interlibrary loans. You know, you paid a deposit, and then they sent for a, a, pay, a journal article, and it arrived a few wow. days later. And then you, you know, and so and then I went, you know, went and did my master's seven or eight years later. Of course, you never hardly ever went to the library because it was all online. You know, but yeah, you know, things like that have changed a lot. But I could have probably utilised the infrastructure of the university a bit, a bit better. Right. But, you know, hey. So how do you think uh, your work life has changed uh, due to COVID? 
Uh, I think it's Im immeasurably, really. Um, the practice I've my, in my clinical work, I've been working on a, a sort of remote triage way for, for a, a number of years. So we would, in, in, in my practice, we would, the first port of call is either online or, or telephone, and then we would make an assessment, a clinical assessment, and then either deal with it digitally on the phone, or you would bring through a percentage of people to for a face-to-face -face, uh, encounter. So we were quite set up like that right. prior to the pandemic, but we would probably bring in 40% of patients for a face-to-face -face appointment. Um, and then uh, through COVID, that went down to you know certainly less than five percent for a period of time. Wow. The pendulum's coming back again now. Um, but my team, uh, the, the team, the equipped team, who are the team, my quality improvement team, went from doing lots of stuff in practice. So they would go and work with teams, and we'd run sessions, and we would facilitate in groups and things like that. And we we've, we've just shifted, tilted everything to virtual. So we do loads of virtual training, virtual facilitation now. But um, We've, we've supported, we, we, through our work, have done lots to support the implementation of digital stuff in primary care. So maybe that, that's on, online registration with the GP, online consultations, utilising uh, things like NHS app. Um, we, we do lots of training and, and help with people implementing um, triage models and understanding how to plan demand and capacity. So, so we so essentially the the work we've done to, is to support the the big changes that have happened to how care is being delivered at the moment. And do you that's think really there are any downsides? Do you think there are any downsides to uh you know learning online or doing a consultation online? I mean, I think this it's all about make these. I think yeah, potentially lots of downsides depending on how they're implemented. I mean, these things are these things are there to support. A clinical encounter they're not there to, they shouldn't be there as a barrier to you accessing the care that you need certain people are definitely disadvantaged by digital as a, as a mode of access and you've got to be really right. sensitive to that so it's not so you know, in general practice it's not just the patients you see it's the ones you're not seeing that you need to be you need to be thinking of so um so certainly uh downsides i i, I mean in terms of but it's it's all about balance. It's it, you know, there, there's there's upsides around convenience. Uh, you can get a lot of information through online consulting, yeah. and actually it's a it's a mindset shift really. For for if you've if you've always done all of your encounters face to face, it's a big it's a big shift for people to work to, in a, in essentially a much more remote way. But it's offered a lot of opportunities for flexible working. You can do loads of stuff without seeing people face to face, and in fact, it's really wasteful of people's time to to bring them in for face to face encounters if they don't need them. So do you and think that will change during the routine, future? In the future, do you think more think things might be do done online to... now? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, because the, the system, you know, it, it, the idea that you go to a, you know, you have a problem, you go to the, you know, the place where the expertise is, sit in a, a waiting room and then wait and then be called in to see somebody who doesn't necessarily know even why you're there. It's yeah. just insane. It's just such a crazy model that you, that needs, it completely needs to change. And, and you know, general practice has made a wholesale shift to this. Hospitals now are, are, are really coming on board with particularly a lot of the number specialties you know where, where loads of stuff can be done remotely because people not you know you don't have magic in your hands that you're going to kind of lay them upon somebody and kind of understand what's going on lots of the work we do is based on blood test results scan results a, a really good history that you could do you could do remotely i mean there are, you know and there's definitely some benefits to seeing some people for some stuff but but we have to shift the model. We're, we're very stuck, I think, as a profession uh, and uh, in, in this idea that you come to us for stuff. 
yeah you know that's that is a bit bonkers really and I think it's it's shift that's really shifted through COVID and what we need to do is kind of make sure that that the good stuff's being you know there's there are there are there are waiting lists now that are longer than they have that they have been in certain the last 20 years well I guess so it has like, been no... a quick quick shift due to COVID we haven't yeah, had any yeah. chance to so, so what, what so what you've had is a big shift and what, what you need is then support to make sure that you're in, it's implemented properly because because right. big shifts you know tend to the system reacts against them because they, they you know if they don't work you're not really implemented them in a, in a robust way they won't deliver you very they, they won't necessarily be safe and they won't deliver you really good reliable results and that's what that's the difficulty of like making change happen particularly in really big complex organizations like the nhs because you change something in one part of the nhs would have a big effect or maybe or maybe not you know and you, you've got to be really you know they, they complex you work in a complex system that where where cause and effect isn't often really kind of linear and understood right so I don't, I don't know if you have any um kids tom but if you did or if you do would you be happy for your son or daughter to go into medicine uh i do have kids um and would i be happy for them to go into medicine i think i would be happy for them to go into medicine i think that i would let them know there are also loads of other really interesting options that you could do with, with your life but it's it's certainly been a good thing for for me um but i think it's you you the, the great thing about medicine is as i say it's a it's a generic training degree that opens like an unbelievable amount of doors for you and so for that reason alone i'd say yeah it's there there's definitely really good things you know it's a really good thing to do um yeah but it's a it's a it's a hard job. I don't think there's any there's any way you can dress that up. It's it's very very hard work, and it's and it's stressful, and it's and it takes its toll on people for absolute certain. So I think you've got to go into it with your eyes open in that regard, and that's where probably where my hesitation comes in. It's you know it's not a it's not an easy ride, definitely. Definitely, yeah. So do you think there are any right or wrong reasons for wanting to go into medicine? I probably outlined some point that the, 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 the fact that you you, know, you can fall into it as a career really in, in some ways. So I think the right and wrong reasons, not not really, because I think you you find out pretty quickly whether you can chime with people. I think there is you know, and, and, that's, and again, that's not necessarily a really. You know, lots of people do work that's in you know, lots of doctors do work that isn't directly patient facing, but you still they're still going to have to work in a team, and you know the the the. So I don't know. Is there a wrong reason to go into medicine? I think in the, there's there's right and wrong reasons to make any decision in your life. And I think um, what you really need to, I, I guess, just question yourself is you know, what, what's what's the kind of work you want to do, and what and what's the do you enjoy being like? Do you enjoy working in teams? Do you enjoy interacting with people? And you know, can are you okay managing uncertainty in in your life? And and is it about you know it, it, it's not really about the glory if you sort of mean so it kind of right. if, you, if you're going into it because it's like hey you know i'm gonna be the you know you're gonna be the big you know, fancy person it's it's just not like that really and i think that that's the bit you've got to question but i guess if you don't have those sort of ideals and drive when you your age maybe you don't maybe you don't do all of the extra work you have to do and do the exams and all that kind of stuff so uh yeah I don't know. I think it's such a it's such a personal choice. But I think what we I would always say to people is is keep your keep your options open because it's um right. I think one of the real challenges I think for for people training at the moment is you seem to be pushed very quickly into making a career decision. So you you, you know you're making a decision age. How old are you now? Seventeen. I mean, oh my god! I mean, it's it's bonkers really that you're making like an absolutely like life changing decision at seventeen. 
okay and then you'll you'll grow up for five years and be at university and and or five or six years and then you'll be kind of spat out the other end with your with your bachelor's degrees and you'll do some foundation work and then very quickly the system will want to get you into making another really important set of decisions. Well, really, you, know, you make this decision 15, 16, because your A-levels yeah, do I mean, shape your future. Like, well, I mean, if you don't do any science or any maths or anything like that, you can't really go into medicine or be quite difficult to. So you, you yeah. already have to make some kind of decision before that age 15, 16. I know, which is like, it shouldn't be illegal, really. But, you know, hey, you've got to make a decision at some point. Whereas yeah. if you look at the States, for example, you do you essentially do a kind of undergrad, generic undergrad degree, and then you kind of go into it when you're a bit older, which, you know, and I think that has in some ways has its merits. I mean, lots of the people who came into medicine, you know, like mature students, so people have done either a, a, a biomed entry thing or they've done a, another degree and kind of got into it in other ways. They're often people who kind of more, much more certain of, of like their decision than people like me went in, you know, 17, 18 and, and kind of then found my way through it. And, and I sometimes think there's a kind of, you know, thing you kind of fire, get fired out of these things. You bounce, bounce off a few different options and you tend to find the thing that suits you. And that's the great thing that there's lots because it's such a generic degree. You can't, there are lots of options for you, but it is it is crazy to think that you're making these decisions early. And what I would say is the longer you can keep your options open when you finish, the better you likely to find something that fits for you. Whereas, you know, right. so I was able back when I was training, you know, when you left, you could do sort of standalone jobs and try things out, which was really great. So you could, you know, you do a year of something or or six months of something and, and sort of build your experience. Whereas now it would be very much part of a training program, which is which is set. And I think there are, there are positives and negatives to that, I think. Definitely. So, you know, have you got a thought about what you want to do? Uh, well, I'm quite interested in neuroscience uh, at the moment. Okay. But again, my career path has always changed. When I was younger, I used to want to go into pathology. Uh, okay. But now I've definitely, I'm definitely against that. So I, I want to go into medical school and like you say, you get to try out if you, I actually, I'm looking at Manchester too. Um, okay. And you just find Great what city. you want to do. Yep. Yeah. And so I think for me, it's more like, you know, go, you, you're basically going to do, you're going to learn a lot wherever you go. You're going to, but I think just that concept of just keeping your, keeping your options open. And I think, I mean, you know, for people considering which schools to go to, there is something great about going to you know, a medical school that's part of a bigger university. I mean, obviously, this is like my N equals one experience of this, but you know, you, you go into a place that's really mixed. Whereas I think obviously there are medical schools where that's, you know, there is it's the medical school in, the, in that faculty. And that's kind of who you could be with because you're going to be in these cities for quite a long time. So yes, it's quite good to go. That's what I was that, thinking you know, make as well. Go somewhere, yeah, go somewhere that's going to give you a bit of a, you know, you can have fun there and, and that you like you want yeah. to live for a while. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. definitely. So in your job at the moment, what does an average day look like for you? Uh, so clinically, an average day would be so going to, so I've, I've just finished a, a period of work, working with uh, homeless people and, and asylum seekers who've been moved right. either from street homeless or from temporary accommodation into hotels. So I would, so a typical clinical day would be me going to a, a hotel or a hostel and, and, and kind of setting up a mini, GP clinic in the reception area or in or in another wow. room in a hostel and, and kind of doing you know seeing patients doing health promotion supporting vaccination flagging people up and and you know and and doing lots of kind of health promotional health check kind of work and and picking up any acute issues so that was very much a sort of traveling um a, tra a traveling clinic kind of model but if I'm or but if I'm in surgery based it would often be kind of working in a room with with nurses doctors healthcare assistants and the administrators 
hitting the phones or the online consultations and, and essentially kind of working through your your days your days patient demand and then you know seeing bringing in people who need to be seen when you need to see them and doing things like home visits on those people who can't get up to the surgery so that's the, that's a, a typical clinical day and then but, but like quite a lot of my time is spent with working in the in the improvement setting so that would be doing some facilitation I do a lot of work around data and analytics so you know looking at looking at data trying to understand patterns and then how, how to communicate that to teams uh, we be we work a lot um, thinking about kind of strategy for stuff so I might I might work supporting a team around low uptake of of, vac of COVID vaccine and like what would your response to that be and how would you support it um, yeah so it's a really varied day but a lot so at the moment because of because of working virtually a lot of time in front of a computer um but but a lot of time trying to collaborate with people to to get to get things done yeah so what do you think will be the biggest issues for the next generation of doctors i mean i think the bit the biggest issues from a health perspective i think is going to be it's just kind of com complexity you know people with people living longer with with more things wrong with them right uh, and that being normal i think that's that's going to be a that's a, a massive issue that um i think I mean, we'll just see what happens as, as a result of COVID, but, you know, li living and working with the, with a disease that's not going to go away and how we cope with that as a as a society and as a, as a medical community. I think that's going to be a, you know, I think that's such a big unknown, but, but you know, it's going to be, that's going to change, it's really changed everything really. And that, so I think how we accommodate around that. Um, but for, yeah, I think for me, the, the, I think the big change will be in how do we, as a, as, as a community and as, as a service, tilt a bit more so that it's less about us and a bit more about the people that, that need us yeah. um and i think that's that's probably where the biggest opportunities are rather as well as the biggest challenges because it's it it's such a clash of cultures and i think you know medical schools i think are picking up on this now so curriculums are certainly changing to be less about kind of opening the lid on somebody's head and pouring information in and expecting you to kind of spew that out and then you know go out into the world that they are bringing in a lot more stuff around leadership and understanding around you know how you function as part of a bigger system because you know when i was at medical school and, and for, you know centuries before that it was about you being trained to know more than anyone else about anything and to then stand by work autonomously and make decisions and stand by those decisions very much as this sort of one person striving forward to cure disease and yeah. i think that's just that that drives some quite weird behaviours that aren't necessarily super helpful. I mean, it, it does it does a lot of good stuff, but actually, the work we do now will be in teams, informed by like loads of information and data, and it's going to involve like complex decision making and being able to communicate that. But but doing that as you know, you as part of you yourself, you as the, with interact with the patient, you as part of a team, you as part of a bigger system, and then you as part of you know the NHS and yeah, society. Yeah. You know, it's that that's that's the direction. Like you say, I think priorities have definitely changed. I think it's less important now to know every single fact, to know every single name, for example, of muscles in the body, because you can find that in a minute, searching it up online. The skills that you need that need to be learned now, like you say, um, communication with patients, leadership, etc. Because you can't just search that up on the internet. That does need to be learned, and that is very important to medicine as well. Yeah. Yeah. They always said there was a thing that we always were told in medicine is this, this kind of concept of of horizons. So where when you make a decision, where will when will that be felt? And it's kind of concept. You know, if you're in a if you're an anaesthetic 
and you know, and a patient has a, an anaphylactic reaction, or if the wheel of the trolley goes over the oxygen tube and some, you know, their oxygen, somebody's oxygen level drops, you don't have very long, your horizon for kind of decisions to impact is, is measured yeah. in seconds. And then things like obstetrics, gynecology probably measured in minutes, you know, when things are going wrong, really right. badly wrong, you, you know, you better, you, you aren't going to be looking stuff up. You've got to have it, right. you've got to be having it right here. Some things obviously do need to be yeah. learned. Yeah, of course. Whereas, whereas actually the kind of impact of, you know, general practice is super, interesting you know the idea of kind of giving somebody a statin now preventing a heart attack or a stroke in 15 years time like loads of things have to be working right for the, for, for those kind of interventions to have an impact um and 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 i think you know the, the being able to communicate that because we know that you know things like statins don't work for everybody but there's a population they do work but from a one for one person we don't know really and those those kind of complex conversations i think those those are never going away but the horizons for that decision are measured in years not not minutes or hours so during med school were there any defining moments specifically that drew you to any particular fields i think there was there was so many defining moments but i, but I can't really think. i mean my general practice experience at university was it was okay it wasn't certainly the, i wouldn't have necessarily said that would be where i would uh, be practicing long term right uh but there were low, but, but I still had, I still enjoyed the interactions. I, I mean, I enjoyed, I, I kind of went into everything with a really open mind and, and just wanted to make sure I got the most out of it all really. So, you know, I, I, I you always want to be humble, you know, I approached everything, I, I tried to be as humble as possible. I tried to make sure that people would give you a chance to do stuff. So, you know, you, you turn up, you show up, you, you're keen, you ask, you know, you ask questions. And then you get the opportunities to do cool stuff. And, you know, I remember being certainly as a house officer, you know, because you had that kind of mentality, you got to do really, you know, I was taken under the wing of a lot of, you know, anaesthetics people who really, who got, let me do loads of cool procedures and things under their supervision. Um, because, you know, I'd, I'd shown the right sort of attitude and, you know, and certainly didn't, you know, with nursing staff on, on wards and, and people, healthcare assistants and administrators, you know, treating everybody with respect and really yeah. acknowledging their expertise and their, and, and their role, made a lot of cups of tea. And, that, and then <laughs> that kind of opens doors for you. But in, in terms of, there, there is just so many great experiences of, of, of university, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, living in hospitals and, and seeing, seeing good stuff. It was, uh, yeah, I, I can't really, I can't really pick it out because it was a, yeah, but no. I think I, and because I didn't really do stuff, that I thought, God, I, I definitely don't want to do that. It was a really interesting experience. You know, everything, every specialty's got its sort of thing that that that, that draws people into it. And I think it's just again, just sort of steering your course through that. But being open enough, I think the the, the thing is just not not being close to anything that you're about to experience. Open-minded about everything. Got, right, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because you might surprise yourself, but it'd be, it'd be super interesting to hear what those guys are thinking about where their career, what, what their career is going to be like. Um, again, thinking about you know what's happening around uh, around sort of digital or breakthroughs or what's on their you know what's on their horizon. Because I think that you, you'd be it'd be great to you know you speak to some people and they'll say, oh my goodness, you know that this thing that everything's changing around stroke care, for example. I mean, you know that's changed hugely since since I was uh, since I since I graduated. It's much more interventional, much more of a managed thing. Um, so just knowing what's coming down the line that people can predict anyway is really helpful. I'd be very worried if things weren't changing, though. I think it's really important, especially in any kind of science in medicine. Things always need to be progressing because things are always changing and getting better. Well, hopefully. 
rules change. <laughs> I mean, I think there's a, I mean, what you, one of the things is you realise that you're working in a, the context within which you work is changing all the time. So the science sort of does its thing, but actually, you know, we're about to go through, a, we're going through a massive organisational change in the NHS at the moment, another one. And I've been, right. I've been through, I think, four or five in my career so far. And that each time they're extremely, you know, they they the you know the, the money that they cost and the things that happen and the decisions that go on and the you know and the changes of personnel and things. So we're moving now to these accountable care organisations, so okay. which should be mean better integration. But but six or seven, no, no, ten, nine years ago, it was all about competition. You know, the competition in the system is the good thing, and that's what we're going to do. So everyone's been in competition with each other for this long, and now the whole this pendulum has swung. It's now it's all about about integration and, and you know accountability for the whole pathway for acute and everything uh, primary care all that kind of stuff so so the science kind of plods along and does it yeah stuff, yeah, yeah. The, right the, the, so you've the been through four changes through which you work. yeah 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 have and they that, all been you know, beneficial absolutely not no they've okay. been they're often you know a complete disaster and, and they you know and that that's the thing the nhs is a huge huge political football yeah and it is tampered with constantly by people who have a very strong idea about what's what's required, and um, and that's a bit, and so that's what I mean. The kind of science is the thing, and you'll be and you're kind of rumbling along doing your stuff as a doctor, but actually the context through which you in, within which you work is probably the thing that changes the most because it's because it, it runs in political cycles, and that's really has major connotations in the kind of work that you end up, uh, the impact I think that your work can take. So, so you know, really interesting in the moment is that you know massive underinvestment in social care. And a relatively protective and not great uh, deal for healthcare for the last ten years, and of course, you know, massive healthcare implications from poor social care, you know, or low low levels of social care, or cut, or cuts to those budgets. That you know that impacts on your work. You know, when when you're doing your day to day work as a doctor, that's what you feel. Changes to uh, benefit systems massively impact on people's lived experience. That impacts on healthcare. And so this, and that's what I mean. So that's why I say it's like it's such an applied science because the context in which you practice really determines how people, you know, how well people are going to do. Because the, you know, actually healthcare isn't that great at health. You know, it's good at it's an illness system, not a not a health system. And the big drivers right. for healthcare, you know, the thing that you and all of your colleagues going into this should be reading Marmot, the Marmot reports about the, the 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 wider determinants of health you shouldn't be allowed okay. to do medicine unless you read about this stuff because then it makes you realize how little you actually do in medicine when you've got when people have insecure housing are in debt poor you know poverty uh, you know adverse childhood experiences poor maternal health all these things that right. are totally preventable and completely manageable don't marmot m-a-r-m-o-t read the first Definitely. one read the one that just came out this okay. read the one that came out in february and you know think life expectancy in this country is falling for the first time in about 80 or 90 years right. and that's not because the NA and you know that's not an NHS thing that's because you know there's been decisions made to cut back on lots of the infrastructure that supports people who are very vulnerable and that's, that's so interesting I didn't even know that. Box. but you know but these things but you know that's this you know you're practicing this is what I mean about you know there's you there's the you and the patient there's your team but the context of this stuff is really is is huge because what that's what that's what's driving your work Right. And you so, can do this much about it. Yeah. Yeah. Makes you feel how small you are, I guess, when you think about things like that. Yeah. But, or, you know, or you're a cog, you know, you're, you're a cog in a, in, a, in a big system. And I think that's, you know, it's good to just have that in, in your head because context is everything. I think the decisions that you make. Yeah, definitely. So, Tom, do you consider what you do to be a vocation? Yes. 
Yep. <laughs> and I do have one last uh, question for you today. Uh, and that's if you could pick any superpower, what would it be? The hardest question yet, of course. Uh, so super, either like time expansion. Right. I'm, not, I'm picking three. Time expansion, the ability to <laughs> teleport, that would be amazing. But I think there's, the, there's uh, I think mind reading would be a fantastic one to know. <laughs> that's might drive you mad though. I'd want I'd want to be able to switch it off, <laughs> but probably that would be uh, that would be one of them. So much of what you do is about in, trying to influence other people. It might be influencing patients. It might be influencing colleagues. I think one yeah. of you know there, there's lots of you, you, there's constant kind of moral and ethical stuff that, that you have to do. But so much of what you have to do involves other people understanding where other people are and thinking really? how you can help to influence their decisions and 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 that's that's the kind of that's the trick that's the cool bit about the job really so that would be a superpower for sure definitely well it's been really interesting talking to you today you've been so helpful so thank you so much no worries wish you all the best thank you